are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White with Cooler Partners and joining me is Carmen Perry. Today on the program, we have Chris Silva and Logan Dunn of clearbags.com. Um, a manufacturing manufacturer of packaging and, and other materials like that. Carmen, uh, why don't you uh, introduce our guests? You know what they manufacture? It's kind of in the name. Yeah, oh. no, it's right there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, Chris is the digital marketing manager. Logan, uh, you're the marketing director. Um, why, don't, uh, why don't we turn it over to you to introduce yourselves uh, very briefly as we get the uh, show underway? Chris, why don't you start? Yeah. Um, so I'm Chris. I, I've been in uh, digital marketing for you know just over a decade. I I've worked on everything from local bakeries to uh, you know U.S. government agencies uh, to state agencies to national brands. Um, kind of had my hands in in everything. I'm I'm somewhat somewhat well-rounded in the digital marketing space. I'm Logan Dunn. I'm the marketing director here at Clearbags. Um, I actually have a background in marketing and strategy. Uh, I've been at Clearbags for a little under three years, um, and prior to that, I was I worked on another big manufacturing company, 3M, um, and I also have a background in kind of new media and and digital marketing uh, as well. I've done some of my own site, uh, digital marketing, e-commerce sites, and um, Clearbags is kind of a, the perfect mix for my skill set. And uh, anyway, excited to be here with you guys. Excited as well. And look, I've got to say, anytime somebody talks about a marketer who's coded a few things on their own, that's when I like will bring up my only personal coding experience, <laughs> which is a little bit of HTML work on a Ning site back in the day, which is embarrassing as I'll get out. But I only bring it up because I can vis- I can watch Jeff cringe as I bring up the like we're like an old married couple now, and and basically <laughs> this kills him. No, I don't think so because I mean, if you actually even remember what Ning is, it means you've been in the social media space for a long time. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I was about to say I've I've never heard that. I thought that you know me being on uh, Friendster and whatnot back in the day was was uh, you know social media social media that, that extreme was pretty early history. Oh. Sure, <laughs> uh, Ning was a way to stand up your own social network for um, small communities of interest, and it was founded by Mark Andreessen who also started a little-known company called Netscape. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, look, Chris has established himself as a young whippersnapper yeah. in the call today. <laughs> and uh, I've got to say, uh, for the for the listeners, this is the first uh, Cooler Ring podcast that we've done that have uh, four people talking. Um, so I, I'm certain my mother would say that now that we have four men yammering along, that we can be assured that nothing interesting is going to come of it. <laughs> so with that apology, I would say to our dear listeners, feel free to just skip the rest of the episode. Uh, but if you feel like sticking by with us, uh, we'll see if we can make it worth your while. Um, let's just get underway. I'd, I'd like to maybe hear Logan's thoughts on on, on this. I in, in some of our conversations in the lead up to um to today's show we talked about the challenges uh, that people have in um in creating a, a basically a, a teams and environments that embrace change 
Um, I believe the, the 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 line that uh, that that was mentioned was that that it was you know critical to foster an environment and a team that's able to tackle change. And I like the the, the last part of that and leave baggage behind. Um, so it sounds like you've at least are doing that or starting down that path or have done that. Talk to me about the how. What does that look like and how have you done it? Yeah. Um, so first I'll preface it by saying that what you talk about is extremely difficult. I mean, managing change is kind of an age-old um, issue with business, right? Um, but it's especially relevant with the fast pace of technology right now and how quickly um, the different SaaS solutions uh, can affect your business. And so being able to manage change quickly is really important. I just want to, uh, I guess, kind of start with the idea of um, Clayton Christensen's disruptive innovation. Um, you know, and he goes in and, and, and talks about how um, as your industry or your, your markets change, you know, you have to be able to, to set up a culture for change and really shift into um, an entirely new way of doing business. And he talks about, you know, creating entirely new structures and things like that. But, um, you know, when it comes to change, so, I guess to kind of let your, your listening audience know. So yeah, we make clear bags, uh, but we also do all sorts of flexible packaging. We're really a, a packaging company specializing in kind of that soft, flexible range. Um, we service a ton of industries um, from photographers and artists to uh, food manufacturers um, to cannabis and um, uh, just, you know, we really can provide packaging for, for almost any industry. Um, but traditionally, you know, we've always been B2B. We've been around for 26 years now. Um, and we started as a catalog to call center. You know, here's our price list. Call us up. Let us know uh, what you want. We'll, we'll, you know, give you an order. But what's obviously the trend? Well, the trend is e-commerce. You know, we've got Amazon um, changing the entire e-commerce landscape. And in order to even keep up with, with buying cycles, even in the B2B world, I mean, it's more and more e-commerce. I want to just go order my product, click, done, it's going to get to me. I don't have to interface with anyone. I can do it on my own time, my own schedule. And so we have to manage that change and kind of going to that disruptive innovation idea. I mean, you, you can't be catalog to call center and e-commerce without kind of struggling at one or the other. So what have we done to kind of manage that change is we've really tried to uh, set up an entirely digital marketing arm inside of our business that uh, treats our online business like its own separate business. Um, and, you know, it's harder to implement the idea of disruptive innovation. You know, they say that you should totally completely separate yourself if you really want to um, have that. And we're, we're, that's a hard thing to do, right? Convince owners to start a separate business just for that. Um, but we've been trying to kind of do that internally to have something that has a little bit of its own control over the like what's happening in the e-commerce space, what's happening with our digital channels, and as we've set up um, some structure employees like uh, like Chris, who can kind of have some free reign on the e-commerce space, um, that allows us to to change and to convince the company and um, you know. I, data too so anyway I'll, I'll stop rambling let you ask some more questions sorry <laughs> i believe that um, in conversations i had earlier with a marketer a g industrial on an earlier podcast actually um uh, i think that that 
um, the, 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 the criticality of that came up, that the notion of requiring your own P&L uh, on the e-com side of the house in order to um, essentially prove the ROI of, of the digital marketing um, efforts and, and the newfound focus on a new way of doing business. Um, if, I don't want to put too many words in her mouth, but I, I, if my memory serves, she really believed that that was the, 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 the catalyst for it being able to secure ongoing um, uh, senior management support of the initiative. It's so funny that you say that because open on my desktop right now is a, um, our e-commerce cost versus um, revenue um, kind of breakdown, but and we do keep a, a PL for each of our e commerce channels that we have. So, 100% right what you said. Yeah, and I also to add on to that, I think that the, the landscape has kind of changed from a one to many, where you know, say, clear bags would go out and we'd go to trade shows and we'd send out our catalogs and we'd find other people in the industry and we kind of do outwardly, um, you know, outreach to get you know, companies interested in what we do. And then they would come to us, they would buy and they would become a customer and they would stay with us because of, you know, our really good customer service and our selection, you know, all that stuff. And I think that it's, uh, you know, the landscape over the last, you know, 10, 15 years is really kind of like flipped that on its head. And now it's becoming a, a many to one, right? I mean, now it's like you have to not only do the trade show thing, do the, do the kind of what we would consider to be like digital marketing approach. But then you also have to open a storefront on Amazon. You also have to sell on Walmart. You also have to sell on, you know, whatever other channels and, uh, you know, Facebook, like social, like you have to dive in there and, and they're allowing people now to create storefronts on those mediums. And, uh, you know, now it's instead of one PL, <laughs> now it's like you got 10, right? Now you have to prove the prove the worth of all of your channels. I can tell you that um, the level of sophistication that you're speaking of in your marketing analytics and an um, ROI tracking is is um, at a few orders of magnitude higher than many manufacturers that are at least double your size. It's an impressive thing that you've, um, uh, that you've built. Um, how has that transformed how the senior leadership has embraced um, the role of marketing in the firm? Uh, I would say that um, you know, I think Logan will be able to speak a little bit more historically to it. Uh, I mean, at least from what I've experienced at Clearbag so far, I mean, everything's on the table, right? Everything's to be considered. I mean, it doesn't mean everything's going to happen, right? But, you know, um, I think the stance of having an open mind and, uh, you know, looking at everything critically, you know, and being honest about what it is that, uh, you're going into and having, you know, kind of like, a a, a plan, a living, breathing plan, like something that you can, you know, kind of change on the fly and be able to pivot quickly on, I think is crucial to, um, you know, having, uh, you know, senior leadership kind of buy into ideas, just knowing that if something isn't going wrong, isn't going right, that, you know, you're going to be able to move on it and be able to be able to change. And a lot of the, a lot of the platform services, a lot of the marketing plans and stuff. I mean, that's almost a given 
nowadays. With so many um, new technologies, new things that, that are out there, um, we kind of have a policy at Clearbags of, of if you can justify the return on investment, um, you know, bonus points if you are, um, if it's cash flow positive, right? We really are willing to invest in it. But in order to justify an ROI, you have to find the metrics that are really working for your organization. Um, I mean, think about it like Facebook, Google, all these other places, they all have very similar metrics, but there's really a lot of differences in them. Like what is a conversion? How does Facebook track a conversion on their advertising platform versus Google? I mean, it's different. While it's the same, it's like, oh, you invested this much and then, you know, you, you paid $40 for this conversion or whatever. Well, Facebook tracks that very differently. So you have to know what metric works for you and your company and a solid understanding of that really uh, is, is what we've tried to get. And as we get that, we've been able to basically convince our controller to invest in a lot of, of marketing things. And, and I would say we as a company have um, a very strong investment in the digital marketing space because we've been looking at the right metrics. Yeah, and also too, um you know what? What is the objective of the campaigns? Exactly. And how and how are they? Uh, you know how are they performing? I mean, you're not going to look at like you know the the click through metrics of a Facebook engagement you know objective. Like if you want people to engage with your page and you want them to you know like, share, comment, you know subscribe, do whatever they do, um, you're you're not going to care about clicks to your website. Right, you're going to care about engagement metrics. You know, I famously, my mom calls me up and she tells me how you know her Facebook campaigns. She's a business manager, uh, you know, for a small business, uh, and she she tells me she's like, yeah, we hired this agency, and uh, you know, our Facebook posts like they're you know they're all right, but like no one's liking or commenting on them, and I just don't think it's working. And I, you know, I just asked her, I'm all, well, what's the, why, why are you on Facebook and what's your objective there? Because if the campaign isn't set up in a way that, you know, is, is going for likes and shares and comments, then, you know, there's, you know, you're not going to get that. Like the people may be clicking through to the side and you just wouldn't know it unless you saw the report of the clicks. Yeah. And that's even yeah. more relevant with business to business. You know, when you're talking about manufacturing marketers, specifically, many of your listeners are, are business to business, right? And knowing that exactly what Chris talked about is, is critical. And, you know, and so many get uh, uh, bogged down in vanity metrics without exactly. really a solid hard look at what are we trying to accomplish with this and what's going to be the best indicator of that. And then, frankly, I think a good number of marketers, even if they can determine that, then they don't have necessarily the talent either in-house or in their repertoire of, of, of relationships to actually enable the tracking. Yeah. Uh, or the tech stack may not even accommodate it. Yep. Yep. How much of the work that you've done in the last while has been focused around uh, readying the ta tech stack to be able to give you that level of uh, data insight uh, that you're uh, that you're currently able to extract. Oh man, I smile when you say that. <laughs> I feel <laughs> it makes me feel justified because we've done so much work yeah. there. <laughs> um, I mean, 
this is one of our things about going back to that first question about change um, and getting people ready for change. We felt it was a necessary investment for us to get a tech stack that can um, facilitate the change that we want to make. Um, so we upgraded our ERP. We moved to a new um, e-commerce platform. Um, we've implemented multiple SaaS tools. And we've just as a company decided we're going to make a large investment in getting our tech stack current because we want to be a digital marketing company. You know, we want that part of our company to thrive um, and not just rely on this catalog to call center mentality that we've had in the past. You're listening to The Coolering, conversations on manufacturing marketing. Don't forget to subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the coolering. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the coolering. With that, uh, I, I'm, I just have this nagging uh, um, uh, desire to talk about this one uh, sentence that you offered in some of our pre-show commentary, where you said that, uh, people may use your products in a different way than you've been able to identify through trend data. So you were speaking, I think, in that moment of the importance of uh, social listening and other ways of, uh, of, of, I guess, in some ways, looking beyond um, the, the immediate data sources to, uh, to, to get some understanding. And I was left with the notion that um, and, and jokingly, perhaps as a Canadian, uh, this notion of data blindness, similar to driving through a snowstorm and snow blindness, you know, and, and it seemed to me that you were in that moment, um, recognizing that and, uh, and perhaps had taken some steps to, uh, to, to ensure that you weren't being blindsided in that way. I think a lot of that has to do, um, or at least kind of providing the clarity to that has to do to just listening to your customers, right? Listening to them, going and visiting them, you know, seeing how they use your products, seeing, you know, what their pain points are with them, you know, yeah, social listening, you know, listening on, uh, on, uh, every channel that you have, you know, I mean, I'm not saying like every time they, every time they buy something to like inundate them with, you know, why'd you buy this and how, you know, how's it working? You know, like some companies do, but you know, I mean, there is something to be said to, you know, like we were implementing a solution on our site that when people purchase something like right at the checkout screen, it then says like, Hey, you know, we'd like to know why you purchased this. And then those, those comments get posted right on the product page for other people to then, you know, maybe uh, spur an idea. So maybe someone's buying a bag that's traditionally, you know, used to uh, uh, sell candy in candy stores. And then someone else is buying it because they, you know, use it to store nuts and bolts in their garage or something. I mean, you know, those, those kind of insights. Yeah. Yeah, and we learn from that, right? I mean, it's not just our customers learning from each other, but it's us learning from them at the same time. Yeah, well, it can introduce new use cases that you didn't know existed before, and then, of course, that opens up the marketing opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's the core of, of what you're saying about, like, like some people are using our products for things that are, you might not have known. I mean, we have certain bags that we developed specifically, specifically for the photo and art industry for holding like four by six photos 
and we'll find out that a cookie manufacturer, you know, totally different industry is using those bags to sell their cookies because they really like, you know, showcasing their food just like a piece of art. You know, I mean, and, and it, you know, that's not what we invented the, the bag, well, invented, you know, it manufactured, made the bag for, right? Um, but that's what people are using it for. And, and it's what Chris said. I mean, we, there's no substitute with all the SaaS solutions and flashy tech marketing stuff um, that is exciting and sexy. There's no, there's no substitution for, you know, going back to the four or five C's, depending on which model, and your four P's of marketing and really focusing on your consumer, delighting them. You know, that's, that's always at the core. And I don't know, maybe it's just the uh, old-timer marketer in me or something, but I like that the fact that there still seems to be a bit of uh, a nuanced, qualitative nature to the interpretation mm. here, that it's not just about being blindly data-driven, but rather uh, letting the data inform some level of more qualitative yeah. Allowing yourself to be led. I, I think what's interesting about that is that it, uh, you know, it, goes back to what we were saying earlier on in the podcast about the the openness to change and the openness to try new things. I mean, you, you look at certainly in a in a SaaS type context where, you know, they're really used to standing up campaigns very quickly, developing metrics from them, you know, modifying that and then tweaking and having a whole new kind of marketing stream of bringing um, potential prospects into the into the company. But you can do that as well from when you're a physical goods manufacturer, you know, you can learn that there's a whole new way that people are using a product and, and then standing that up as, as an idea and, uh, and kind of going at it from another direction. I, I truly believe that it's super dangerous to, to only make data driven decisions. Cause I I've heard so many times and I've even thought this myself sometimes it's like, oh, well, you know, feelings aren't a part of the equation. Like I just look at the data and then I make a decision when really, I mean, data is like a photograph, like, you know, like, uh, you know, photograph says a thousand words and, you know, photographs don't lie. Um, I think we all know nowadays, if you've ever seen a movie in the theaters or, you know, ever seen a digitally edited photographs, you know, photographs can lie all the time. You know, data can lie all the time. Data can be misleading, right? I mean, if you, yeah, it, it totally is. And, you know, and statistical skewing and spinning and all that stuff. I mean, that's super real. I've been, I've been in meetings where people are presenting data that I could see right through it. I just go, oh, well, I know exactly why that happened. And, you know, it actually, these results are somewhat empty. So can I just share a specific example that goes back to, to, that goes along with what Chris just said and uses your analogy of the snow blindness? Um, I mean, so for example, for us, so we were trying to, um, you know, get more traffic to our site using our, our Google ads and we wanted to invest more, um, but we just could not go beyond the ceiling of a certain budget because whenever we try and go beyond that ceiling, what would happen is, is we'd look at this cost per conversion metric or, or return on ad spend metric, which is what like everyone tracks their campaigns. Like this is the best metric to look at. But when we focused on that metric, we could not convince our controller to give us more money. We could not 
up our budget at all, which meant we could not get more traffic to the site. We were just kind of stuck at, um, at a status quo of, you know, this much budget and, you know, trying to improve and we could grow a little bit because as we got more efficient, then the cost per conversion or return on ad spend went down a little, it was great, but it was so slow. So instead it was like, okay, well, what do we do? What are the real metrics that matter to us, right? And this is where the snow blindness comes in. You know, looking, if you just focus on those metrics, you, you might miss the real story here. So we said, well, what matters to us, and it's gonna be different for every company, was how many new customers these ads are bringing in. Um, and then what is the lifetime value new customer? And once we started looking at those and we did a bunch of analysis, um, you know, statistical analysis to really find what our projected six year lifetime value of a customer was. And now we watch new customers, we flag every customer that comes over from Google as a new customer acquired by Google. And now we can you know, divide the total amount that we get versus that new customer. And we can also look at um, each of these new customers is gonna bring um, you know, this much over the lifetime. And so now when, I, when we took that to our controller and to our ownership and we said, now look at this, this will paint the real picture. Each of these new customers that we bring in is gonna cost us this much. It doesn't look like an immediate, strong, positive return, but over the course, we know that we're going to get this much out of that customer. Instantly, it was like a light bulb went on in, in our controller's head and we were able to just continue to spend and the growth then from that channel of advertising just, just skyrocketed. And so, you know, we can't get blind by looking at the wrong metrics with so much data out there. We have to make sure we're finding the metrics that make sense for our company. Yeah, exactly. And what I was talking about was essentially, you know, the exact opposite of that. People can, you know, go, go the other way with it too. Um, you know, and, uh, this is an example of that, you know, doing the right thing. That's fantastic. And, um, it, it, uh, and, and, and it may actually be the, uh, just the, 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 the switch of how you um, how you started to look at that and the change that, that resulted from it, I don't know, maybe the answer to my next question or it may not. I'm curious <laughs> if you can answer it without giving to away too much secret sauce. <laughs> um, Logan, what do you think is the best marketing decision you guys have made in the last 18 months? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh... You guys are just saying you guys are so good. There's so many good decisions that it's just we need. It's an encyclopedic exercise. Is that it? That's awesome. Yeah, I honestly, I think the best, um, biggest win for us in the last 18 months of marketing is changing the way we structured our marketing department um, because it allows us to um, adopt new things quicker and and be more swift in in how we market the company. Um, and that was, you know, developing kind of this more digital arm, um, rolling e-commerce and, and marketing and IT kind of together, um, you know, really setting us up for, for successful wins down the road. I mean, that to me was probably the, the biggest win, but it was what Chris said in, I mean, are we talking, you know, um, digital advertising yeah. wins? Are we talking, um, you know, wins with user experience or, you know, I mean, at that point, there's so many different 
things that we could say are, are good and bad, and we're learning as we go watching that data. I look, I uh, I didn't uh, I didn't presume to know the answer to the question when I asked it. I, uh, I was just curious what the response would be, and uh, and I I think that that proved proved to be rather entertaining. I'm, I'm kind of. Uh, it, it it leads me to uh, to want to let you guys keep going and give me a few more of the good things or amazing things that you've done that uh, the audience might be able to learn from. Well, so one thing that that I think is really exciting that we're that we just kind of branched into is a newer technology that kind of goes along with with listening and understanding your customers and it's conversational marketing. So we adopted a a, a chat tool called Drift. Um, and, you know, its whole idea is is live chat on the site, but it's also, you know, making a, um, it's making your live chat work for you from a sales standpoint and getting your customers to engage with you when they want to, how they want to. And, and Chris and kind of some of the, the pre-show material that he provided talked a little bit about this, like reaching customers at the right channel, whether it's Amazon or Walmart or, or um, on our website um, or over the phones. Um, but also like on our website, how we're reaching them. Do they want chat? Do they want a form? Um, and, you know, Drift lets us really reach our customers how we want. And we've been, it's, it's kind of exciting um, being able to interact with customers right away. And this idea of conversational marketing, that's been something that I personally have been excited about. What about you, Chris? Like, what are some of the things you've been most excited about? Yeah. So, yeah, I was going to say that, um, you know, coming into clear bags and uh, having experience, you know, in a bunch of different companies, analytics and kind of the way that they're set up for their data tracking and whatnot, um, I would say the biggest win that I've seen here is in the organization of the data, right? You know, everyone has some sort of analytics solution, be it Google Analytics, uh, you know, Adobe, kind of whatever, whatever it is you use there. But I mean, I've seen major, major businesses not even have their like revenue tied to their web metrics, right? Like they have a traffic source that's like pushing through a certain amount of traffic and then they make revenue off of that traffic, but then they don't correlate the two. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, the, I think the, the people don't focus on, or maybe don't know how to focus on their data clarity as much as they should. And uh, I think that one of the biggest things I've seen here is that there's a lot more clarity um, in the data uh, to be able to make some, you know, really informed decisions and, um, you know, and kind of like that, that, uh, you know, mental, mental tenacity or maybe like kind of like being able to abstractly think about what it is that's driving your decisions um, has been, you know, one of the one of the strengths. That's part of the secret sauce. Yeah, and to that end, we implemented a BI tool to help us um, look at all that, which is very very exciting. Hmm. Uh, do you mind uh, my asking which tool you've implemented? Uh, yeah, we uh, we went with Domo. We looked at a few different tools and. In all honesty, like Domo seemed like the right fit for us, but there's many tools out there that do a lot of the same things. Um, and I think just getting your data consolidated into one place 
um, is what's important, whether it's Domo, Grow, SciSense. Um, yeah, Salesforce's solution. Yeah, Microsoft um, BI, stuff like that. Yeah, it doesn't really matter as long as you can get it there. Yeah, it's kind of whatever your tech stack, you know, is uh, is most comfortable with. You know, we use certain things here that tie in with Domo very well. So, you know, it's only natural that, that you know, we implement that. Yeah, exactly. We could have an entire other discussion on how we choose tech stacks and e-com platforms. <laughs> <in it>. Exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people, it's a gener- it's a generative, you know, additive process, right? I mean, they they start with something, you know, whatever it is, they they start with something and they they learn it, they get attached to it, all their data's in it. They've already invested a bunch of man hours setting it up and getting everything in there. And then you know, some companies just kind of ride that out and, you know, become hamstringed by it or they, you know, find success in it or whatever it is. But I think, uh, you know, I, I guess honesty at the end of the day, how your tech stack's working for you is uh, really going to kind of figure figure how that plays out. Because, you know, if you have the wrong one, it's going to cause more frustration than it's worth more lost man hours, you know, more passive, passive expenses and whatnot. So pivoting as quickly as you can, kind of cutting bait and moving on to some that does work, I think is uh, my best advice, you know, when it comes to tech stacks. And as you reference moving on, uh, I can't help but think that we're collectively moving on to 2019, provided we're all fortunate enough to make it for the next few months. Um, Rim. Hey man, uh, you've seen the news as much as I have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, but nevertheless, uh, as we uh, I guess as we wrap up this podcast in the 2018, uh, I guess a couple of parting thoughts from from the both of you uh, with respect to what 2019 might hold. If you look to dig out your crystal ball for a moment, uh, set it beside the clear bags potentially. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, what, what do you see uh, that's uh, going to be an important focus as 2019 gets underway? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll start with the marketing aspect of it in uh, business, and the and Logan can talk more to the you know business aspect of it. Um, in marketing, I I hope to be focusing on uh, you know getting our marketing plans uh, de-siloed and a bit more integrated with each other. You know, say say we go to a trade show, um, you know, we get a bunch of customers there and typically, you know, what most companies do is they'll take those, they'll take those leads and they'll put them into their CRM and they'll follow up on them and, you know, and send them samples or whatever they promised, you know, at the trade show. And then they'll just kind of traditionally market, you know, to those people um, you know, directly they'll, they'll do a lot of direct marketing, a lot of phone calling, a lot of emailing, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I would like, I would like us to get to a level of not only doing that, but then, you know, creating a segment in social to where, you know, then these people or lookalikes of them are now getting served, you know, ads across, uh, all those platforms, you know, that, um, you know, we have a, we have an email campaign going on, you know, maybe we have a direct mailer kind of like follow, follow those areas around, um, you know, and, and the way, 
you do this is you kind of you kind of need third party data to kind of mine some of some of what's going on there. Uh, you need uh, you know obviously the platforms to be able to to get to it, but essentially. Essentially, what it comes down to is, you know, personalizing the marketing a lot more so it becomes more relevant. Because what I see is that people always want to talk about how they don't want to be advertised to. But I think really at the root of that, just, you know, let's let's just say advertising is never going to go away. Right. I mean, we can kind of, I think, all agree on that. Um, What they're really saying is, is that they they don't want irrelevant advertisements. Everyone always wants to know about new products that they can use. People always want to know about stuff that makes their lives easier, better, you know, what, what have you. Um, so what we're trying to do, and I think one of our focuses for 2019 is to make sure that the right customers get the right message at the right time. So that way, that way there's no, you know, um, you know, there's no dis, you know, bad taste in people's mouths over our messaging. Yeah, look, I I agree with Chris. I think people uh, people actually don't mind being sold to. They mind being sold to poorly. <laughs> well said. That's right. And I, I'm actually going to 100% agree with Chris. And that's why I brought up that idea of conversational marketing earlier using the Drift platform. And there's a few platforms out there that kind of do the same thing. But that's an example. I'm excited about that because that's one example of what Chris is talking about. Um, so, you know, we go to a trade show um, and we get these leads. And so not only are we, you know, launching an email campaign to them, but it's targeted advertising. Um, I mean, we're even looking at like geofence advertising um, to like very specific cities or, or the actual businesses where um, that we met at the the show and then so we're doing the, the advertising there but we also on this conversational marketing platform when they come to our site the site recognizes who they are and says hey it was nice seeing you at the show um, you know if you'd like to schedule time with one of the people that you met there click here and it auto schedules a calendar appointment with the bot forum um, you know follows up reminds them and so it is it's what Chris says it's like marketing to them very well and making sure that it's integrated between trade shows, sales, um, digital advertising, um, Amazon, you know, and really making a unified experience for the customers. Um, The other big focus for me for 2019 is diversification a little bit. You know, think about your investment portfolio and how you've got to be diversified to lower your risk. Well, the same thing is true. Um, for your business from a marketing standpoint, you know, or what, what channels are you over-invested in? Um, what traffic sources for your website are you over-invested in? Um, and, you know, for us, while we're, we're not looking at reducing those investments, we're looking at, at can we add more into some of these other channels to diversify our mix a little bit? Um, you know, there's been some political things that have happened um, that we won't get into that just you know, that, that, that make you nervous about what's going to happen with the economy, with your business. And it just made me as, as a marketing director say, okay, well, like, are we, are, is our mix, marketing mix right? Um, is our advertising spend right? Is our traffic to our site right? Um, and just kind of going back to that, you know, core marketing and, and, and adjusting the mix to make sure that we're preparing for the future. Gentlemen, I think this 
been some fantastic insight into uh, the work that you're doing, the success that you've had to date, and uh, and some great advice as we, we look ahead. Mm-hmm. I, I want to thank you for for sharing it with us, and uh, and thank you for your time today. It's been great chatting. Well, so what what was the take? Two people okay, <laughs> one person better. <laughs> Well, now, to be fair, uh, as we conclude this podcast, uh, it may not have reduced the quality having four uh, men speaking, but it has certainly increased the time it's taken to do the podcast. <laughs> it will be our longest yes. yet, I would suggest. So uh, uh, I'll, I'll let others uh, draw the conclusion as to what that means. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> so, well, thanks so much, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.